Um, please take your Bibles and open to 1 Peter chapter 2. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. Now as we come to the end of a year, um, as usual, if, you, if you've been here for the last few years, um, it is, I always think it is good at the end of a year to take some time to inventory your life and do some serious thinking and reflecting. Because if you never actually set aside time to do it, then you never actually will do it. Life has a way of making you busy. Life has a way of taking your attention off of things that need to be addressed. Just like we ignore medical conditions sometimes that lead to our detriment, um, we wish we would have paid attention to the first few symptoms of things. In the same way, you can go in your spiritual life and ignore things that need to be thought about or need to be addressed. So it's always good to take some time and do that. And I would encourage you to take some time this afternoon to do this very thing. Now also, this past year, as you look at it and reflect, this last year probably had its shares of joys. It probably had its share of blessings, celebrations, anniversaries, birthdays, new life. There were probably also times of sorrow, times of heartache, times of stress, times of struggles, times of disappointments, times of just, if you're going to be honest, absolute failures, where you absolutely royally messed up. No? Nobody? Have you thought about it? So they're absolutely right. In the midst of all that, I also want to remind you that in the midst of all of that, joys, blessings, sorrows, disappointments, failures, there was constant love, mercy, and grace found in Jesus. In the midst of all of that, He never once left you or forsook you. Not once. He never once abandoned you or left you as an orphan. He never once thought of letting you fall out of his hand. You were never in any danger of that. Now, as we reflect back on this previous year, I would remind you that it's also helpful and good to look forward to the new year. Sometimes people like to make New Year's resolutions or commitments, um, set goals and objectives, things that need to be achieved in 2024. So if you need some ideas, um, I have found some this week in my study. So I'm going to share them with you, okay? So if you're a kid, here's some resolutions for you to consider, kids and teenagers maybe. Maybe this year you will make this resolution. I will master the art of making silly faces in the mirror every morning. It is a fine art. Or I will aim to learn how to eat ice cream without getting a brain freeze. Now that is a skill that will do you well, you novices. Or this, I will become the reigning champion of blanket forts in the house. The reigning champion. Or the or, or next one, I will perfect the dinosaur roar and unleash it when least expected on my parents. Maybe this one. I will commit to making my parents laugh at least once a day with a joke or a new dance move. Now, here's one that's also helpful, I think. 
I will develop the ability to identify different bird species in the backyard, and I will give them secret agent names. All right? So here's some for adults. So some of you adults need resolutions. Here you go. Number one, I will embrace the chaos and aspire to make my bed at least once a month. It's a good one. That means you have to make it 12 times this year, okay? All right. Or this one, I will practice the fine art of remembering where I left my keys at least once a week. So just one day a week, I will know where my keys are, okay? That's not, that's not too complicated. Or this one, this one will go a long way with parents and grandparents. I will attempt to become fluent in emojis and memes to communicate my complex emotions more effectively to my children and grandchildren. That's worth working on. Or I will promise this year to conquer that pile of unread books by turning them into stylish furniture. Okay? Or I will aim this year to become a morning person by hitting the snooze button only five times. Only five. Now this morning, I, I'm a, I'm, that's me. Okay? I hit that thing. I don't know why I listened to my snooze button for an hour, but that's me. Now, while those are funny, right? It is also helpful that we take aim at spiritual resolutions, okay? Spiritual resolutions are important. Jonathan Edwards, one of, one of, if not the most famous or greatest theologians of American history, famously penned 70 resolutions, and I try to read them each new year to be reminded of someone who really made an impact in the world. And here's a sampling of his resolutions aimed at growing in the gospel. He begins at the beginning of his resolutions this way. He says this, Being sensible that I'm unable to do anything without God's help, I do humbly ask Him by His grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to His will for Christ's sake. And then he wrote, remember to read over these resolutions once a week. So that's funny. You have to do that. You have to read back over them. But this is what he says. I'll just read you three or four. And this is what he says about his overall life mission. This is his life mission. He says, I am resolved that I will do whatever I think to be most to God's glory and to my own good benefit and pleasure in the whole of my life. Without any consideration of the time, I am resolved to do whatever I think to be my duty and most for the good and and advantage of others in general. And I'm resolved to do this, whatever difficulties I find, and how many and how great they are. And he says this, I am resolved to live with all my might while I do live. And then this is his resolution on time management. He says, I am resolved that I will live so as I shall wish I had lived when I come to die. I will live so that, do you hear that? I will live in such a way that I will be pleased with the way I live when when I die. Or this one about, about living for righteousness, about putting sin to death. He says, resolved never to give over, nor in the least to slacken my fight with my sinful corruptions, however unsuccessful I may be. He says, no matter how unsuccessful I am in fighting sin, I'm never gonna give up. I'm never gonna quit. Or about the scriptures. He says, I am resolved to study the scriptures so steadily, so constantly, and so frequently 
that I may find and plainly perceive growth in myself. I'm going to study the scriptures so diligently that I will plainly see spiritual growth. That I can see it, document it, and track it. Now that last one is what I'm going to focus on today for my sermon. So if you're in 1 Peter chapter 2, say amen. If you're not there, say I am ashamed. Okay, let's just throw that one out there, right? Y'all, didn't, y'all, y'all did not see that one coming. All right, here we go. This is what 1 Peter 2, chapter, uh, 1 Peter 2 verses 1 through 3 says. He says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. I have two points today. I want to move quickly. Number one, this is my title as well and my point number one. The gospel changes everything. The gospel changes everything. Now, context is critically important to understanding your Bible, amen? You have to read your Bible in context. Notice that Peter begins verse 1 with this one little two-letter English word. So, he says so at the beginning of verse 1. So is a term that introduces a rationale or it introduces a reason or a conclusion. It means, it means this, in light of this argument or truth, This implication or conclusion follows. So the question is, what is the context for Peter saying, verse 1, so put away all of these negative things like malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander? The answer is the gospel. Now you got to go, Jacob, how do you know that? Well, we know that from looking back at the previous verses. Okay, if you look back at verse 22 and 23 of chapter 1, Peter says this. So look back at chapter verses 22 and 23. Peter says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Well, he's going, well, Jacob, I see truth there. I see, I see I've been born again. I see living and abiding word of God. I don't see gospel. Well, look down in verse 25. Peter says we've been born again through the living and abiding word of God. Verse 25 says this. And this word, this imperishable seed, this living and abiding word of God, what you've been born again by, this word is what? What? What does it say? Verse 25. This is the good news. What's What's good news? This is the gospel. This is the gospel that was preached to you. So Peter preached the gospel to these people. They were born again through the power of the living and abiding word of God. And that changed everything about them. So let's break it down. And what can we learn here about the gospel? So three truths here about the gospel. From chapters 1 and into chapter 2. First... The gospel is the means, or the channel, or the conduit. The gospel is the means of our spiritual birth and life. The gospel is the means of our spiritual birth and life. We are born again, Peter says. We are given spiritual life through the gospel. 
Now that is always connected in the New Testament to the life-giving power of God's Holy Spirit. Look back at chapter 1, verse 12. In chapter 1, verse 12, Peter says, It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. And the things that, we have, that have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So you heard the gospel and it was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And this is exactly what Jesus tells Nicodemus in John 3. He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And Jesus says over in John 6, he says, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. And he, Jesus says, the words I have spoken to you, the gospel I have preached to you, is spirit and life. So the gospel, hearing the good news of the gospel, of Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection, his ascension to the right hand of the Father, hearing the gospel, that is the channel through which the Spirit works in you to bring you spiritual life, to bring you spiritual resurrection from spiritual death into spiritual life as we respond to that offer in repentance and faith. We receive the gospel of grace as we repent of our sins and believe the gospel. It is that imperishable seed that produces spiritual life, according to verse 23, right? We plant seeds, why? Because those seeds have life in them, and those, and those seeds grow up into something. If I plant corn, what do I hope will grow? Corn. And so when the gospel, the imperishable seed of the gospel is planted into our hearts by faith, it produces spiritual life and growth. It is how we are spiritually reborn, born again, and are given life. Second, the gospel is not only the means of our spiritual birth and life, it is the means of our spiritual growth and nourishment. It is the means by which we grow and are nourished. The same gospel that we received by grace through faith is the same gospel that works in us to transform us from the inside out. And that's what this whole section is about. Look back again, chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. Okay, back to chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. Here's what Peter says. He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. All right, now let me try to bridge this gap for you. The holiness that Peter is writing about in these verses is born in us through our new birth. The holiness we need is given to us when we come to Jesus by faith. It is produced in us by the power of God's Spirit through the gospel. The gospel is what brings this into our lives. It is what gives us growth, holiness, and nurture, and nourishment, sorry. And you have to get this right, okay? Because here's, if you get this wrong, you're not going to grow spiritually. The inward transformation of the gospel is what leads to outward transformation, okay? The gospel works in our hearts and in our, desi in, in our, hearts and in our desires, 
to bring about outward change, okay? So here's, the, here's why you got to get it right. Moral reform or behavior modification does not lead to spiritual life or growth. Did you hear that? Did you hear what I said? Moral reform or behavior modification does not lead to spiritual life. You can stop doing a sin and not grow spiritually. Now, do I think it's a good idea for you to stop sinning? Yeah. Like obey the law, like obey Jesus. Yeah, but that doesn't necessarily lead to spiritual change. Because it has to be wrought in our hearts by His Spirit through our faith in what Jesus has done. Okay? Hear hear me. No amount of law-keeping or trying harder will produce the spiritual life and holiness we need. The, The biblical New Testament gospel as preached by Jesus and Peter and Paul and the disciples is crystal clear that the spiritual life wrought by the Holy Spirit leads to outward moral transformation. It is the gospel working in us, the spirit working in us, God's word conforming us to the image of Jesus from the inside out. Now let me quote John Bunyan here about why, okay? And you can go read Galatians. The whole book of Galatians is about keeping the law will not save you and keeping the law will not make you grow spiritually, okay? Here's what John Bunyan put as only he could about the law and moral transformation um, from instead of going from the inside out, working, trying to work from the outside in. John Bunyan says this, he says, Run, John, run, the law commands, but it gives us neither feet nor hands. Better news the gospel brings, it bids us fly and gives us wings. Immediately there, think about Red Bull, don't you? One honest person over there. But do you get it? The law can say, stop sinning, but the law can't give you feet or hands to obey it. The law can't give you a new heart. That's what the gospel does. The gospel gives us a new heart. Better news the gospel brings, it tells you to fly, but you know what the gospel does? It gives you what you need. Jesus gives us what he requires in the gospel. You need holiness, he gives it to you. You need love for your brothers and sisters, he gives it to you. That is the point. Right? So, Paul says this in Colossians 2. He says, just as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Well, how did you receive Christ Jesus the Lord? How did you receive Him? By grace through faith. So how do you walk with Jesus? By grace through faith. How do you obey Jesus? By grace through faith. That's how we continue to walk with Him. We continue in repentance and faith. Now, I want you to see this. Not only is holiness born in us through the gospel that changes our hearts and our minds and our desires, the very love of God is also poured into us. Look there again at verses 22 and 23 of chapter 1. Peter says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So your hearts have been purified, love one another from a pure heart. Now, let's follow the argument. I need you to make some connections here, okay? These are biblical, exegetical connections. When Peter says in these verses that you've been obedient to the truth, that is a reference to the gospel. 
The word of truth is the gospel. That is the word of truth. If you read through the New Testament, the word of truth is the gospel. Okay? And when he says, by your obedience to the truth, he's referring not to the obedience of commands, of law-keeping, but the obedience of faith. Okay? To our believing the gospel message. To obey, to believe is to obey the call of the gospel, of repentance and faith. Okay? That's why Paul says in Romans 1 that his mission is to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations. The obedience of faith is not obeying the commands, even though that's a part of it, you know, part of our sanctification. It's hearing the gospel and responding to it. So according to Peter, our believing the gospel, that obedience of faith is what caused our souls to be purified and made holy. And when we heard the gospel and believed the gospel, we were purified and made holy, and at the same time, the love of God was poured into our hearts by His Spirit, which is exactly what Romans 5, 5 says, right? God's love has been poured out into our souls by the Holy Spirit whom He's given to us. And that's why John says in his later letters, we love, why? Because He first loved us. This is why we can love, because the love that has been supplied to us comes from our believing the gospel and being united to Jesus, being united to God who is love. So Peter is commanding, here's my whole point, I know I'm taking forever, Peter is commanding us here not to produce something in us new, not to produce something new in us that's not there. He's telling us to stir up what's already been put there by his Spirit. And you can't do that while at the same time holding on to things like malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander, all of those things in chapter 2, verse 1, right? You can't do those things in light of the gospel and in light of loving others rightly. These things were not born in us by the gospel, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, and slander. These things are born in us naturally because we're sinners, okay? These things belong to our old way of life, our old self, but we in Christ through the gospel have died to those things, and we've been raised to walk in newness of life, which I say every time we baptize somebody, which is Romans 6. We've been buried with him in baptism, and we've been raised to walk in newness of life, not in our old fleshly ways. So, here is the point. If you are filled with the love of God by the gospel, then the gospel will change everything, will it not? If you are filled with the love of God, you will not seek ill will toward others. You won't be filled with malice, but with love for one another. If you are saved by grace and understand the love of God, you won't need to deceive others or be a hypocrite. You won't need to cover your sin up and try to make yourself look better than you really are. Right? Because you can look at your sin objectively and truthfully and go, yeah, I'm a sinner. There's no need to hide. Jesus came to save who? Sinners. So if you're not willing to admit you're a sinner, then you don't understand the, the truth of the gospel. So you're going to walk in hypocrisy and deceit. So instead, walk in the light, in truth. 
You, sh- you should be the first to acknowledge your sin and your hypocrisy and repent. And if you trust God's grace and God's provision and God's goodness, you won't need to envy what others have. Right? Do you need to envy what others have? No, in fact, I don't have to envy them or be jealous of them. I can actually rejoice in God's blessing of them. I can enter into their blessing and their good and go, man, I'm so glad God has been good to you. I rejoice in His provision for you. I'm not jealous. I'm not envious. I don't need to covet what you have. Jesus has given me all that I need. And if Jesus is all that you need... Do you need to envy what other people have? No. And believe me, if you have Jesus, you have enough. Amen? If you have Jesus, you have enough. And if you are willing, if you are walking in the truth of the gospel, you won't need to slander others because you know you yourself are the chief of sinners. I myself am the chief of sinners. So when I see sin in others... I don't need to slander them. I can pray for them and use that as an occasion to remember my own failings and the grace that I have received and, the, and, my, and then be willing to extend that grace to someone else. Do you see how all that goes together? The gospel changes everything. The gospel changes everything. It is the only thing that we have that is enduring, eternal and unchanging. Do you know that? That's what Paul that's how Peter describes it, right? He says that it's imperishable, it's living, it's alive, it's abiding, it will remain forever. Everything else in our lives will perish, fade or die, but not the gospel. Listen, all of us will be tempted from time to time to look at things that are fading or transient or temporary for spiritual life or nourishment. And every, th- every time, one of those things will let you down. Has it not? Does not our culture let you down all the time? Does not everything our culture says you need and is for your good, does it not ultimately let you down? Because it's fad. It's transient. It's fading. We have to cling to the enduring and unchanging gospel that brought us spiritual life, brought us spiritual birth, and continues to give us spiritual growth and nourishment. Listen, here's the fact of it. The further you get from the gospel the less spiritual life and nourishment you will find. If you try to walk away from the gospel and move on to bigger and better things, you will find not spiritual life and nourishment, but spiritual death and decay. And on the other side, the, the more you cling to the gospel, the more spiritual life, health, and vitality you will find. Cling to Jesus. Cling to the gospel. And that is my second point. So in light of the fact that the gospel changes everything, so cling to the gospel and get to the bottom of your desires. Get to the bottom, okay? There are three basic assumptions in verses 2 and 3, and I'm going to give them to you in the form of questions. So here are three questions that I want you to write down and I want you to think about. Three questions based on verses 2 and 3. First, do you desire God's word the way that you should. Do you desire God's word the way that you should? Look there at verse 2. Peter says, in light of the gospel, put away all of this negative stuff, this stuff that doesn't reflect the gospel. And he says, instead, like newborn infants, long 
for pure spiritual milk. Peter tells us that we're to long for the milk of the gospel, the nourishment of the gospel, to long for it, to desire it, to crave it like a newborn infant. Does your heart cry out for the sustaining, life-giving, nourishing power of God's Word like it should? And if not, you need to get to the bottom of that. Like, why? Why do I not desire what is obviously most important to my spiritual life and nourishment? Why do I not desire it that way? I have to answer that question today. I'm going to go home and think about it. Why do I not turn to God's Word more frequently and more fervently? Second question. Do I desire spiritual growth the way that I should? Do I desire spiritual growth the way that I should? Not just God's Word, but spiritual growth. Verse 2 says, so we should long for pure spiritual milk. Why? That by it you may grow up into salvation. Peter says that we are to desire and that Peter says we are to desire and long for the gospel so that by it you may grow up into salvation. Notice that Peter very specifically says you grow by it. By it you may grow. That by the word of the gospel, the milk of the word, you may grow. Grow up into salvation. Again. You don't grow by fleshly efforts. We grow by submitting ourselves to the Word and by yielding ourselves to God's Holy Spirit. That's what Peter's going to say in 2 Peter 3. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Ask yourself, by God's grace, are you putting yourself before God's Spirit and under His Word so that you can grow? Ask yourself that. Are you, by God's grace, putting yourself before God's Spirit and under God's Word so that you can grow? Now listen, I want, to get, I want to use a gardening illustration. This is where my wife will laugh at me because she knows how I feel about gardening. I don't like it. I don't like it. I grew up on a small farm and all I think about is all of those hot spring and summer days that my dad made me do things I did not want to do. Okay. Now, I did enjoy eating the fruit of the garden. I did not like doing the other stuff. But I did learn some things about gardening. Okay, I learned some very clear truths that also apply spiritually. If you take one plant, like a nice tomato plant, and you, ha you take that plant and you put it in the sun, and you water that plant day by day, and you take another tomato plant and you set it in the dark, and you deprive it of water, in a few months there will be a difference. I'm not a genius. I'm a simple North Mississippi boy. But I can tell you this, that if you deprive yourself of the, of the nourishment of God's Spirit, if you're not under the Son of God's Spirit and under the reign of His Word, or switch it however way you want, and you put yourself in a dark corner, you're not going to grow spiritually. You're just going to starve yourself of what you need. So you need to ask yourself, do you desire spiritual growth the way that you should? Are you putting yourself before God's Spirit, under God's Word, and seeking to grow spiritually and be nourished by His Word, by the Gospel? Third, do I desire Jesus the way that I should? So do I desire His Word? Do I desire spiritual growth? But most importantly, 
Do you desire Jesus the way you, do, do, the way you should? Look at verse 3. Peter puts a conditional clause on this. He says, you can crave the pure spiritual words, pure spiritual milk, and you can, you can grow up by it into salvation, what? If indeed you have tasted that the Lord Jesus is good. Have you tasted the Lord Jesus, and has he satisfied your soul? Listen, long for the milk of the gospel, grow in the gospel of grace by grace, and if you've tasted that the Lord is good, continue to long for Jesus. Taste and see. Come to the Savior. Come and take and drink from the water of life and thirst no more. Take from the bread of life and hunger no more. Now when you do that, and I want to say this, that doesn't mean that we never thirst or hunger again. It just means that we know where to come and be satisfied. I don't go be satisfied somewhere else. I come to Jesus. So every thirst and every hunger must be brought to Jesus. That is where we fight our spiritual battles in front of Jesus. Hear me. There is a famous sermon by the Puritan Thomas Chalmers. It's a very good sermon. Very difficult to read. But this is what he says. He says, It is seldom that any of our desires are made to disappear by a mere process of natural extinction. He says they don't just go away. No desire you have is just going to magically one day disappear. Okay? He says the heart must have something to cling to, and never by its own voluntary consent will it deny itself of all of its attachments. And he concludes that therefore... The superior affection for God through the gospel of Christ is necessary to displace worldly affections. It's called, by the way, with this sermon, the expulsive power of a higher affection. That if you have in yourself a desire for something, whether it's good or bad, the only way to fight that desire is to replace it with a greater affection. Now let me give it to you in layman's terms. I love cheeseburgers. Amen? I have a great affection and desire for cheeseburgers. I think Bobby G's has one of the best ones around. All right? I have a great desire for cheeseburgers. That's not a bad desire. There's nothing wrong with that. But do you know what beats my desire for cheeseburgers every time? My desire for ribeye steak. And if you offer me a cheeseburger or a nice 14 to 16 ounce, inch and a half, um, ribeye cooked medium rare, the cheeseburger never wins. You know why? I have a greater affection for ribeye steaks. That's the point. You will never battle the affections and desires of your heart and even your, even your affections for sin rightly unless you get to the bottom of it and you go, Jesus is better than this. Obeying Jesus is better than that sin. So I don't fight that sin by working up something weird in my heart or by just beating my flesh and stabbing it off. I beat it by getting to the bottom of it and go, I must love Jesus more than this. That's where you'll find freedom and joy. That is the battle. Ask that question, do I truly believe that Jesus is better and that obeying Jesus is better than all this world has to offer. And here's my conclusion. If you desire Jesus most, if you love him most, 
then you will desire to grow in him. You will follow him. You will learn from him. And you will imitate him. You'll talk like him. You'll live like him. And you'll love like him. And if you desire to do all that, you'll spend time doing all of that in his word. So my question as we end is, what are the spiritual habits in your life that need to be strengthened to put you in the path of spiritual growth, to get out of the dark corners and get under the sun and under the rain? Maybe this year you need to build the habit of prayer or you need to build the habit of giving. Maybe you need to decide this year to read Christian books instead of watching so much Netflix or spending so much time on TikTok. Or maybe this year you need to make every effort to pray for your lost friends and neighbors and seek to share the gospel with them. Maybe you need to even think, rethink about your non-spiritual resolutions and goals and reshape those through the gospel. For example, maybe somebody here wants to get in better shape physically. That is a good goal. But because of the gospel, the motivation shouldn't be to do it so I can be more attractive or more fit. It should be so that I have more time and energy to devote to Jesus' mission. How about I take care of myself so that I have the energy to volunteer in the children's ministry? Or that I have enough margin and time that I can invest in discipling a, a student? Get in shape for those things. Or, maybe you need to get your finances in order. But it's not about doing that so that you can have more stuff. Or so that you can have more financial security. But maybe you need to do that so you can be more generous, so that you can be more content, and you can be content in what Jesus has provided for you, and not be in debt to everybody around you. Whatever it is, every resolution needs a plan. A desire without a plan is just a daydream. You're never going to reach it. You have to work backwards from the goal and figure out what needs to change in your life to make the goal a reality. So what tangible, practical steps need to be taken each day to move you closer to that goal? Maybe it's just as simple as picking up one of these Bible reading plans out there and going, this year, by God's grace, I'm going to read the New Testament this year. I'm going to learn how to have a quiet time and how to have a prayer time. By the way, that's what this is called. This is how to have a quiet time, how to have a prayer time, how to read the Bible in a year, how to, mem how to memorize your scriptures. Maybe you need to make that kind of commitment. Maybe you need to pick up offering envelopes out there and go, this year I'm going to grow. I'm going to obey Jesus. Whatever the Lord lays on your heart, you do. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to have a time of invitation. Father, I pray you would take your word, and you would challenge us and change us and shape us by it. But most of all, Father, I pray that we would see Jesus beautiful, glorious, worthy of worship, worthy of following, worthy of knowing, worthy of imitating. And may he be the solid anchor of our souls. And may we bring every desire before him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.